Well, we're going to talk about uh, prayer. I'm going to continue a little bit about spiritual warfare. Talk to uh, talk about corporate prayer, corporate warfare today. And uh, so, I'd like to start out by reading a scripture from Ephesians 4, if you'll put that up. And uh, it's going to have a couple of words in it that we're going to elaborate on. One of them is unity. Okay, so I'm reading from the NIV where Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity. Pause right there. Make every effort to keep the unity. That must mean... Getting the unity and keeping the unity requires some effort on our part, some work. Making every effort, you've got to work at it, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I always think if that was, if Paul was Oklahoman, he would have said overall and you all. So anyway, all right, corporate prayer, very important thing. Many different types and styles of prayer. Nothing wrong with individual prayer for me praying by myself, even for myself. Probably most of our prayer would fall into that category. So prayer for self, prayer for oneself is not a bad thing, but it's not the only thing that we ought to learn about prayer. It is easier for one person to say, thy will be done, and come into submission to what God is telling you to do in an answered prayer. But it takes some effort and some struggle and some learning to get into corporate prayer. Because when we're talking about corporate prayer, we're talking about all of us praying the same thing at the same time. All right? Have you ever seen how difficult it is to bring people into agreement with each other? If you've ever been in any kind of leadership, such as a parent, to ha- and you have uh, kids that want to do something and you want to do something else, it's uh, very difficult. So, let's get a biblical understanding of what unity means. Paul just talked to us and said that unity, the unity of the Spirit. So, unity must be associated or closely connected to the Holy Spirit. And it is. So, we just read that. Notice also... Whenever the number seven, if you like biblical numerology, thinking about all the interesting things that that God uses numbers. In Ephesians 6, we just noted that there were seven aspects to this unity. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, over all and in all. And therefore, that's seven things. So seven must be associated with unity. if you were to <clears throat> look up Isaiah 11, uh, you don't have time to do that now, but you would find out that it's a messianic prophecy that talks about the Messiah who will come, will have the spirit of the Lord on him, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Seven things. And these are seven different things that will be for will be identity of the Messiah to come But he'll have one purpose, seven aspects of his character, but all exist for one purpose. 
Okay, that's a little bit of a hint now what we ought to understand about, about unity. Uh, in the book of Revelation, this is interesting, there's, <coughs> there are uh, seven seals, seven scrolls, seven trumpets for seven churches. So, unity is a plurality, but all this plurality must work together for one goal. All right, now, corporate prayer should be the body, us, body of Christ, with its different gifts and parts working together, doing and fulfilling their roles for a single goal. In other words, we, are, we have gifts differing. We don't have the same person. Everybody doesn't have the same personality. Everybody doesn't have the same strength. Everybody doesn't have the same weakness. But all together we make up the body. Can you imagine if uh, all of a sudden in, in your body, if, you're, if my brain said this, you're getting tired, you need to sit down over here for a while. And one of my legs said, uh-uh, I'm going to do that. You know, no way. I'm not going to go over there and sit down. You know, I'd have to rely on one leg to get me over there if the other one agreed. But what if all of the systems in my body didn't agree on the same goal? And the goal would be health and living. And think of this, there's, there's seven systems in your body. But what if all of a sudden, you know, your skeletal system decided that it wanted to be the muscular system? Or your digestive system decided it wanted to do all the thinking? All right? In the nervous system, your brain decided, you know, uh, that's my job. And they got in a big fight about it, all right? Okay, that would be disunity. So to understand what unity is, it may be a little bit helpful to understand what disunity is first. We've probably already seen it. The basis of corporate unity doesn't mean that every Christian group at every time, time period in history or nation had exactly equal, same theological understanding of every Bible verse. That's called impossibility. <laughs> All right? So, <clears throat> but <clears throat> think of it like this. It does mean that the new spirit that God has put within you in your salvation experience has knowledge and revelation deep on the inside that when the Holy Spirit brings it up, your heart will respond, that's right, I knew that. Okay, that makes sense. You ever had that experience? To, to feel all of a sudden, I believe that. And sometimes you believe something and you know it's true even though your mind says, what? <laughs> You're going to do what? You believe what? Yeah, I'm going to do that. Oh, I don't understand that. Okay, so sometimes unity of spirit may be experienced by your heart believing and knowing that you know know that you know that you know, but your mind is running behind time, all right? That's why the Holy Spirit renews our minds so that you can be in unity, spirit, soul, and body. King David prayed one time, unite my heart to fear the Lord. So you on the inside need to be in unity about what God is saying. Now, we have, I have myself to practice on. And I need to get pretty good at that before I'd really be very good at being a part of a corporate group that has unity. So, it's not unusual in our walk to agree with God's word by faith without understanding. 
But if you will believe what he says, the understanding will fall, in, fall into line and follow up maybe a little later on. Okay? Therefore, first thing we need to understand about spiritual unity or corporate unity <clears throat> is that it's a God thing. It's not just something you and I can come up with based on our intellect, intellectual thinking. Okay, here's a, let me give you a good example of disunity. Okay, you got uh, three, three people, you got three people together here. Okay, we got George and Paul and, let's see, uh, Andy back there. Okay, and I'm saying, guys, we gotta get our heads together on this. We have got a problem in the church. What do you think we ought to do? And George might say, I believe we should do ABC. Andy says, no, I think DEF would be a lot better. And who would? Paul, Paul, right? Okay, and Paul would say, uh, I think HIJ. And all the time, I'm thinking XYZ. <laughs> and not only am I thinking XYZ, I'm thinking, don't these guys know anything? You can't do DEF. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You know, ABC, we tried that once and it didn't work. Nobody would, in their right mind would say that. Okay, so we're, that is disunity, all right? Now, there's, here's, here's how we might try to come into unity. I'll speak and tell them my thing, my solution. Then each one speak. Then we try to agree together intellectually, okay? That doesn't work. You know, people don't come to agreement very easily when they're set in their ways or they want to do it a certain way. Because my tendency is, I know best, all right? These other people, they think ABC's right or they think uh, XYZ is right, something like that. You know, so we're thinking all the time, you know, that's ridiculous. And then somebody comes up with, well, I read this book and you know, this is what we ought to do. And somebody else says, well, I read this book over here and the guy that wrote this book said the guy that wrote that book is an idiot. Uh, he went to, he took a four-year course in stupidity and passed it in three years. Okay. These are the kind of things, this is an example of human beings trying to come into unity on major decisions. Amen? You ever been there? <clears throat> Families are very good at this. Not, agree, not agreeing on things. Therefore, the only way to come into spiritual unity is for everybody to give up. You got to give up and seek God and wait on God. And then as God speaks, then we can come into a unity. But I'm putting aside my way, I'm putting aside my XYZ, just like you gotta put aside your ABC, and we're gonna to come to the Lord. Lord, what are you saying? What is our goal? Though we are different, we can agree and by the power of the Spirit, come into agreement in where there is faith and power and God can do the stuff through us, okay? Now, that sounds so easy, it's so simple, that it's hard. Amen? Okay. <clears throat> All right. So, spiritual unity is a God thing. You can understand more about spiritual unity, like I said, by thinking up a few examples of Disunity. Here's another example of disunity. Jesus appears to the apostles in the upper room after crucifixion and resurrection, and Thomas is not even there. 
because he didn't believe he didn't believe it anyway. <laughs> so, all right. So, are the apostles all in unity? No, they're not. They got one guy straggler out here who's going to have to have a sign. Well, Jesus took care of that, but they were not in total unity. Okay, when God's people come together, the unity of the Holy Spirit will do great things. Even now, every non-believer that we see out there are in disunity. Okay? It's very difficult in leadership, whether you're a parent, whether you're a business owner, or whatever you are, to see people come into unity so that you can do, so you can behave and work like an army. An army is taught how to follow. It's taught how to obey orders. The army is explained, here's what we're going to do. Here's our goal. We must go there. You do this. You're the this guy. You're the this guy. You're the this guy. Everybody do what you're trained to do, but we're all following the same goal because we're all following the same leader. Okay? That's how it works. <clears throat> all right. Now, got to tell you a story. This is a story about... <clears throat> Happened about 300 years ago. And uh, I know it's true because I was there. No, it's not. <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you a story that happened in Germany about three years ago. There was a young aristocrat, young rich man born into a rich family. He was born in 1700. His title and name was Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf. Now, this is the true story. I mean, <clears throat> it really was his name. Okay. In 1727, he met a group of people coming from what would be modern-day Czechoslovakia into southern Germany to because they were fleeing religious persecution. There was about three to 400 of them. Now, Count Zinzen von Zinzendorf owned the property that they were housing themselves on. He was a Christian. He heard that they were Christians fleeing persecution, so he went down to meet them. And he told them, you can build your new city here. So they did, and they called it Hernhut. The name Hernhut means watch of the Lord or God's protection. Now watch, not, not this kind of watch. Watch like you would have keep watch over, guard something. Okay, early in their history, these people who end up being called Moravians, or Moravians, early in their history, a prophet visited them. His name was Malchior Schaefer. He prophesied to them, quote, God will place a light on these hills that will illumine the whole world. Okay? Zinzendorf continued to build relationships with the people and later became their pastor or their leader. While he was preaching on August 13, 1727, the fire of God fell from heaven with signs, wonders, miracles, and the whole group was never the same again. It fell on them with miraculous things. A major response from the congregation, they would come up to von Zinzendorf and say, this is great, but how can we keep it? 
how can we keep it going? You know, that's, you've heard of little revivals or God visit here, and then all of a sudden, it's gone. You know, that's, what they're, <laughs> that's what they're wondering. How can we keep God's presence upon us? How do we do it? So they prayed, and they were determined to obey a scripture that someone brought forth out of Leviticus 6.13. It says, the fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. They took that fire to mean prayer. We need to be praying continually that this miraculous power that God has sent and it started bringing people in, strangers in, and said, we have to make a way to be praying continually for this. And so pretty soon, within the next few weeks, there were worship and prayer going 24 hours a day. That's what the people decided to do. They said, let's pray 24 hours a day seven days a week so they started doing this and guess how long it lasted anybody know 100 years a hundred year prayer meeting and some people think our services are long <laughs> so it lasted a hundred years and during that time during the hundred years here's a few things that happened now you can look this up in encyclopedia online and you'll find lots and lots and lots of writing, books, and so on about this. I'm surprised that it's not more well-known somehow. And uh, this is a, because this is a, a God thing in history, done through just a bunch of people that were willing to say, God, what do you want us to do? What do we have to do to keep the revival going instead of dying out? Okay, so during the first hundred years, here's a few things that happened. Missionaries were sent out from there to, of all places, Greenland, North and South America, South Africa, Australia, and Tibet. Hundreds of them. Okay, their outreach into England resulted in a man getting saved named John Wesley. Later, another guy there named William Carey, under the influence and the prayer of the Moravian people. He is known as the father of modern missionaries. A little later on, the revival took so strong in England that it spread over to America. A guy named George Whitfield, who was strongly influenced by the prayers and the counsel of the Moravian revival. Out of the same time period, a certain nation was born, founded on Judeo Christian government and values. Anybody want to guess what that nation was? United States. During that same 100 period, 100 year period. So, to be unwilling then to fight to save it, I'm talking about America now, to be unwilling to fight to save it, to me, is like Esau preferring the bowl of beans to his birthright. We are the result 
of a massive prayer time, a massive prayer meeting. Did you ever think about how many of you know that before you were born, maybe your grandmother or somebody was praying for you, yes. this generation? Yes. Okay. Uh, my, I, I happen to know that my relatives first came here from Germany in 1752 <clears throat> to flee religious persecution. Took a long time to research that out and had help, but uh, I learned that. So, so my question is, what are we going to do for the next generation? What are we going to do for our own generation? <laughs> That's a pretty important question, too. From this long revival, we can glean several characteristics that those people had. I'm talking about, that must have been the original prayers there in Hernhut. And can you imagine a hundred years? And let's say you came to join that church in 1800 and you knew that the reason you were there was because two or three generations ago somebody prayed for me before I was born <laughs> that I'd come to the Lord. This is so important. Church history is so important. We can gather truth from it. We can find out what other successful people did and what failures not to repeat. Okay? So, from this long revival, we can glean several characteristics that they had which can assist us in learning about corporate prayer and corporate warfare. Now, if you want to write these down, got about three, three things. There's many, many, many things that could be read about uh, this time period in history, in Christian history particularly, because this was a time in Europe that they were going through all kinds of problems, particularly, you know, in the birth of America. It's just, it's just incredible. I, I'm so amazed that not more people are aware of this in the church today about what, I don't mean just here, you don't hear that much about this. You know, a prayer meeting that lasted 24-7, 365 for 100 years. And people all over Europe are getting affected by it. People across the ocean, a new nation starts, founded by work of the Holy Spirit and prayer. Wow, that's something to think about. Okay, these people, I'm going to give you three, three things. These people lived in spiritual community that sought the unity of the Spirit, sacrificial giving, and God's vision for them. Remember, unity. How do we come into unity? Well, the best way is if I think ABC is the way we ought to go and somebody else says DEF, then we need to get those ideas out there so we can get rid of some of them because they, they aren't all God and aren't all the same thing. Okay, so we need to pray, first of all, God, what do you want to do for me? Now, the key in, in me, through me, the key here is these were not perfect people. They were willing people. Big difference. You may be very gifted, but not willing. <laughs> not willing to use those gifts. I spent some time on the 
phone a couple of days ago with a person who I would consider very, very gifted, but needs to get with it and start using it. Find a place to use it. Find a place that will receive you and your gift. Don't just sit around and wonder why nothing's happening all the time. Okay. Okay, so point number one, this Hernhut community was a spiritual community that sought the unity of the spirit, sacrificial living, and God's vision for them. One of the reasons, historically, that revivals don't last more than one generation is because that initial zeal, that initial fire that came on them was put out by the people going back into worldly thinking and worldly, worldly living. In other words, they were not keeping up allowing Jesus to be holy through them. Okay, he, Jesus is your holiness, all right? Holiness is not the same as legalism. Me, I got to do everything right. Got to do this, do this, do this. Okay, try that. You won't do it for long because you can't. <laughs> but when I say, Lord, I'm willing to do what you want to do, that's the open door. It's the open door for individuals. It's the open door for local congregations. It's the local door for the church in the nation, churches in the nation, so forth. So are we willing for God to do whatever he wants to do through us? Are we ready to continue to live sacrificially living and seek God's vision. God, what are you saying? I remember one time I was going through some struggles and I was asking God, what are you doing? And he answered me. You know what he said? Don't ask me what I'm doing, ask me what I'm saying. <laughs> Think about it. He'll let you know what you're doing, what he's doing, but you need to hear what he's saying so you can do what you're supposed to be doing. All right? Okay, number two, personal holiness brought their people the fruit of the Spirit. Count von Zinzendorf wrote, quote, we are the Savior's happy people. Isn't that neat? <laughs> How'd you like to be a happy people? Okay, we could use a little more of that. Okay, well, he's obviously referring to the joy of the Lord which was their strength, the joy of the Lord among the fruit of the Spirit. Number three. I'm sorry, a little louder. Number two. Number one was they lived spiritual community. Number two was personal holiness. In other words, they were letting God work on them. In other words, if God, God were to decide, okay, I'm going to, send the Holy Spirit down there on that serve local church and the whole world's going to change. Okay? That doesn't mean, okay, now we can live any way we want to. <laughs> no, no. That's what puts out the fire. Okay. So, now number three. They discovered God's vision for them, but not just for them, but for the world. As I said a while ago, they were not perfect people, but they were willing people. That ought to be at the top of my vocabulary. Am I willing? 
I know God could do anything. I know God picks unlikely people to do great things. I mean, he's proven that in scripture. Look at all the people that did great things who were, from a worldly standpoint, nobodies. Or the type of person who, if you were picking them out, you would sure not pick that guy. God picks that guy and does things you never heard of before. So, but remember this. What blessing you have received thus far in your life is not because you're so special. (laughs) Or you're so gifted. Or you're so well-educated. Or you're so whatever. Or you have such a pleasing personality. At some point, you were willing to receive something from God. So check that out daily. Am I willing to walk in the Spirit today? Am I willing to hear God's voice? Am I willing to obey God when I do hear his voice? Am I willing to work with others? Am I willing to seek his goal, his vision? And as I do that for myself, little by little, I spill my life over to other people as they're spilling theirs over me, and we find corporate goals. How are we to work together to achieve God's goal? Are we working as a body? Is there one part of us, like one leg, that says, I'm not going anywhere? Okay. That leg needs to change. That leg needs to be willing before God amputates it. <laughs> you could say like that. <laughs> okay, we've got to be willing people. But the original Moravians, they made a deep commitment to Jesus and prayer. In time, they learned to think God-sized thoughts and to pray and believe God for God-sized miracles. Did you know faith is a growing thing? Now, there's a gift of faith that could come upon you at any time, and you could believe to part the Red Sea. Okay? I remember, anybody ever remember Farside Cartoons? About the one where it says Moses is a child and he's sitting at the breakfast table with a bowl of cereal and he's going (laughs) like that. Moses practicing. All right. No, a lot of things you don't practice for, God just does as a miracle. But we are to grow in faith. There are some things that you need to learn along the way and practice, exercise your faith. Exercise your faith in small things. It's like weightlifting. You don't start out lifting 500 pounds, okay? Start out lifting two and a half pounds, okay? And then if you're faithful with that, you'll get stronger and it'll get easier, okay? But you can't just do it all at once. You've got to do it daily. Lord, I trust you today. Speak to me today, Lord. Father, what do you want to do on the inside of me Heal my blind spots, Lord. There's things on the inside that you see that I don't see (coughs) that are hurting me. So, Lord, you see them. Show me. Heal me. Help me. Help me follow you more accurately. Okay? Those are signs of willingness. The longer you are willing, the easier willingness gets. Because you know that what God wants to do in your life is even better than the best thing you dreamed of.
These people, the early days, changed their world because they allowed God to change them first. If my life is going to contribute to major change in this world, it must start with God changing Richard first. Amen? Work for me, work for you. There are many more things we must learn about corporate prayer and corporate warfare. It must start with us expressing our willingness to obey God and then seeking him for his vision for us. Quote, Lord, what are your goals for us? Unquote. Needs to be a frequent prayer. It requires us who are willing to be brought into unity with the Spirit and one another. You get in unity with God first and then gradually we begin to agree on what are we doing here? Oh, God says this. Oh, that's good. What's my part? Okay. I'm sure the Moravians at first would never have dreamed or imagined that their prayers would have changed the world as they did. I doubt that first two weeks <laughs> of that 100-year period that God gave them visions of all these things that you guys are going to do. If he'd have told them that, they would have probably thought, yeah, man, we're so special, you know. God always loved me best. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Or uh, something that, didn't, that did not contribute. But sometimes God calls you, but he didn't tell you what for until you start lifting one foot after another. Maybe the least little things grow into great fruit. Okay? Probably a lot of us could testify. God called you to certain things years ago, <clears throat> which you thought, oh, man, this is okay. This is cool. It's going to be this way and this way. Nothing turned out the way you wanted it to. But what God did was better. Yeah. Okay? All right, so requires us who are willing to be, brought to, to be brought into unity with the Holy Spirit and one another. I'm sure the Moravians at the first wouldn't have dreamed or imagined that their prayers would be answered and be enlarged as they were. But I'm glad they took the challenge, aren't you? Yes. You know, I guess we'll get to meet some of them someday. Yeah. Okay, but just think of this. Just think, the freedoms we enjoy today probably are somewhat the result of their prayers and sacrifices 300 years ago. And just think about this. The power of the gospel was preserved and handed down by them to us largely as a result of their faithfulness to scripture and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad people 100, 200, 300,000 years ago were faithful to God? There's a lot of crazy stuff that's gone on in the last thousand years. I know, I know that. But aren't you glad that there were some faithful ones that were willing to give their hearts and their minds and their future to God so that you and I could hear the gospel and be saved and enjoy God forever? Okay. Do we want to do likewise? Next question. Is our nation today in need of intense intercessory prayer? You know, you don't have to be very smart to figure that out. <clears throat> Let's learn corporate agreement in intercessory prayer. 
It's, it's something that the only way you learn to pray as a group is to pray as a group. Holy Spirit is a teacher. We can reflect some of our experiences with the Holy Spirit as leaders. But at the same time, God's the teacher. Okay? Now, in a minute, I'm going to ask if uh, Dwight will come up and close us. But, uh, and then we're going to start praying. Something like that. A <clears throat> uh, so, uh, prayer that I was uh, put in, uh, given information about, uh, Sarah has a mom that is due for some very serious surgery uh, that is still in Pakistan. Am I getting it right? And uh, so we want to pray for her. To just We agree together God's will be done, either complete healing by God with no surgery or God bless the surgery because that's very serious, very serious heart issue. And I'm sure there's probably a bunch more things. Here, here's a thought. Why do we start a worship service with music, worship? Because that's the way the Holy Spirit takes us into the throne room. If you've ever seen in the book of Psalms, you see the little subscriptions over the top where it says a song of ascents. You ever seen that? There's a whole bunch of Psalms that are called songs of ascent. The idea is that those were songs that the priests sang as they walked up the stairs to the temple carrying sacrifices. And as they went up, Amen. so the Spirit came down. Amen. They went up. So we are wanting to worship and get on the same wavelength that the Holy Spirit is broadcasting on so that when we get up there, we can be in the presence of God to worship Him. And God, during that time, we got rid of a lot of the worldly junk that we've been thinking of, trying to get rid of for days, stress, and whatever else, so that we can have a mind that's full of the Spirit. And so we can hear God say, pray for this, do this, whatever it is, whatever's on his mind. But the, the trick is, the human side is, we need to get ourselves into position for the Holy Spirit to do something with us. Okay? So... Dwight, you want to pray or give us a song of ascent to lead us into uh, the presence of the Lord? And let's all be willing. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're tired right now about to go to sleep, do this. <clears throat> something. <clears throat> you, know, you know, something to wake up. All right? If you've got something negative and bad on your mind, you're going to give that to God. He's going to give you some information. He's going to give you a word of wisdom, word of knowledge. If you're worried about something, cast your care on him. All right? These are ways we get started learning to pray corporately or do spiritual warfare. And then when we get ourselves out of the way, we're in line for the Holy Spirit to speak. And then we can pray in accordance with God's will. You know what the best way to pray is? Pray God's will. That's the best way. You know what? He'll always answer that prayer. So the trick is, how do we get there? All right? By getting rid of what I've got in my mind and saying, Lord, fill. Fill me. So I'm just praying for, I'll be praying for that, and you pray for that.